Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. We've been in this teaching series called Counter Culture, and what we're really doing is we're looking at the book of Daniel. And uh, we're, we're, we're diving into this book, and, and what we're really studying is we're, we're studying how to live godly in an ungodly culture. We're studying how, how, how do we, we live in a very ungodly culture, so how do we as Christians, how are we supposed to act, how are we supposed to behave, how are we supposed to act godly in an ungodly culture? And, and what we found out is that we've talked a lot about the book of Daniel, and to give you uh, an idea of it, we said that the book of Daniel is not in chronological order. For some of you, that's the fifth time you've heard that, so I hope you know that by now. Uh, it's not in chronological order. The Bible is set up in different ways. It's, it's set up in a historic section, a poetic section, and and one of the sections is a prophetic section. And we've said that Daniel is a prophetic book. And by that, we mean that Daniel, the book of Daniel, has application for our life today. That it's not just another book in the Old Testament, but Daniel, we can apply the book of Daniel to our life today. And the challenge is, and we find out throughout all of Daniel's life, if you've been here, is that consistently through Daniel's life, in fact, he was brought into the Babylonian captivity at the age of 16, and so since he was 16, he lived through four different kingdoms in Babylon. And in every case, Daniel's faith was challenged. His faith was constantly challenged against the kings and the culture of his day. In the Babylonian culture, it was a very secular culture. And so Daniel wanted to serve God. And uh, because of that, because the culture was so secular... Uh, he, he, he couldn't, he was unable to do that. And so because of that, I believe that we have a lot to learn from the book of Daniel. In fact, today, what I want to do is I'm just going to give you the idea up front and then we're going to talk, then we're going to dive into this idea is that today I want to give you what I believe is culture's greatest need. I'm going, I want to give you culture's greatest need. And in fact, I believe that culture's greatest need is you. Culture's greatest need is you, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what I'm talking about in just a couple minutes. But over the last several weeks, I know we've we've had some really really deep messages, and uh, not only have they been deep, but some of them have been kind of sad. So today, I'm going to give you the solution to a lot of the problems that we've talked about over the past couple weeks. And really, the solution to the problem is you. The solution to a problem is a people of God to rise up and influence the culture. In fact, you are the solution. And I know there's some churches out there who just say, you know what, I, I, let, let's just stay out of everyone's way. You know, maybe we should just hide in our corner until Jesus comes back. You know some of the people like that? Like, let's just, let's just go sit in our corner and, 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 and we'll wait till Jesus comes back. I'll be in heaven one day anyway. Right. And, and that's the mindset that a lot of people have. And they, and they say, well, you know what, just just forget all those dirty sinners. They're going to hell anyway. And that's the t that's the idea that so many people have nowadays is that this turn or burn mentality. You know what I'm talking about? You, 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 you repent or, 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 or burn, essentially turn or burn. And so many people, they've got this mentality. And can I tell you, well, that's fine thinking, but it's not what the Bible says. The Bible never says turn or burn. Jesus doesn't put it in that language. It, it, it's, it's not what the Bible says. In fact, I so believe that culture's greatest need is you. In fact, I believe that God's plan for culture's problems is this. He wants a group of people in the, in the world that the world could look at. 
He wants a group of Christian people to rise up so that the world could look at them. And he doesn't want them, he doesn't want the world to look at us. He doesn't want the world to look at the church. He doesn't want the world to look at a, a group of Christian people and say, oh, well, they're just kind of strange. Or they're just kind of odd. Do you, does anybody else know an odd Christian out there? Surely I'm not the only one, right? I guess if you don't have your hand raised, you probably are the odd Christian. So anyway, but there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of odd Christians. And I don't believe that's what, that's, that's what God wants his people that I don't believe that's what God wants culture to look at us like, like, oh man, well, that, that's, a, that's a bunch of mean people. I know some very mean Christians. But yeah, that's a bunch of people that, that you know, nobody can relate to. That's not what God wants us to be. In fact, God's always intended for you to be the most attractive thing in the world. Some of our ladies said amen. You know, right? <laughs> I, I, God has intended for us to be, the church to be, the most attractive thing in the world. And He wants us to possess a quality that the world would run to. Can I tell you that the people at your workplace should run to you. The people at your workplace should run to this church. They should see a group of people on fire and they should be attracted to it. That's what God wants. In fact, that's exactly what happened in Daniel's life. If we look at, if we look at the story of Daniel, we'll find that. In fact, let's look real quick at Daniel chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, we're starting in Daniel 6 verse 1. It says this, it pleased Darius. By the way, Darius is the third king in this story. We've already been through the, uh, the other two. And uh, he's the third king that Daniel's actually been through. And it, he's the king from the Medes and Persians side who took over Babylon after Belshazzar. We talked about Belshazzar last week and his great fall, right? Belshazzar had a fall. And so Darius comes up and he's the new king. And, and, he, and he's from the Medes and Persians area. And it says to Appoint 120 satraps, which satraps are essentially governors. So if you want to replace that word with governors, do that so that it can help you understand. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one who was Daniel. And I think it's interesting that out of one out of the three, Daniel would be the only one in the kingdom who would serve in the kingdom and would not be a Persian or a Mede, right? He, he, he's the only one that is not from where they are. And so it, it's interesting that Daniel is one of three people in charge who's not a Persian or Mede. And Darius knew, and I, and I believe this, is that Darius knew that Daniel had something on his life. Darius could look at Daniel's life and say, you know what? There's something special about Daniel. There's something different about Daniel. And it goes on to say that the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. I want you to notice that when Daniel was in charge, Daniel served the king so well that they never suffered loss. Imagine that. Imagine serving someone so well that they never ever had loss. That's what Daniel did. It goes on to say, now Daniel so distinguished himself. What did Daniel do? Daniel decided that if he wanted to have influence, he couldn't look like everybody else. If you want to have influence in your life, can I tell you, you can't look like everyone else. You've got to be different. In fact, over the past couple of weeks, we've said different things. That, that we're called to be a thermostat. We're called to set the temperature, right? We're not called to be a thermometer. We're called to be a thermostat. In fact, and we said this a couple of weeks ago, we said that you can't make a difference unless you're different. 
And that's what Daniel did too. Daniel distinguished himself among the other administrators, the satraps, by his, say it with me, exceptional qualities. This is what we're talking about today. This is, if you've got a verse that you want to highlight, circle, circle these words, exceptional qualities. In fact, Daniel had all kinds of exceptional qualities, and that's what we're going to go through today. But I say all of these verses to say this, that God's hope and culture is you. God's hope, there's no plan B. You are it. You're the hope for culture. In fact, 2 Corinthians says, God has made us His ambassadors. And, and though he was, as though He was making His appeal to the rest of the world through us. God is making His appeal through us. Ephesians 3 says, the manifold wisdom of everything that God is is to be made known through His church. We are supposed to reflect who God is. And so, if, if, if it's on us, and so, so if we're supposed to reflect everything that God is, and we're supposed to be a representation of it, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I can tell you one thing. We can't look like everyone else. And so first of all, if you're in here and you're trying to look like everyone else, you just need to stop right away. Because if you want to make a difference, you've got to distinguish yourself and you've got to have some exceptional qualities. And can I tell you that Daniel in four different empires, Daniel had influence in every empire. And can I tell you that it was not by being a jerk. It wasn't by being mean. We never have a recording of Daniel screaming at the king or his people. He's never screaming on a park bench, turn or burn. That's not what he's doing here. Instead, we see that he has exceptional qualities. In fact, so much so that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was such a great guy. He, was, he had such great qualities that the king wanted to set him over the whole kingdom. And can I tell you that it's only those who distinguish themselves with exceptional qualities that get put in charge of kingdoms. If you want to get put in charge with kingdoms, you've got to distinguish yourself with some exceptional qualities. The verse goes on to say, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption. Donald Trump said amen, all right? And that in him, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And then it says, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. Can I tell you, I, I, I hope this is what the church will eventually look like. In fact, my dream for you is I want, I want God to work in this church to a degree where they can't even find a basis to charge us on anything. Instead, they should look at us. They should look at us as a group of Christians. And instead, they should look at us for a solution. They should be constantly looking to us for a solution because our life is so attractive to them. And I believe that that's how God wants to change the world. Just like how Daniel was so attractive and he had no basis for a charge against him. I believe that's how God wants to change us. Some of you in here this morning, you're probably like, well, man, that's way too much pressure on me. I'm the project in here. <laughs> I can't be the example. I'm the one that God needs to work on. That's, that's all right. 
But can I tell you that that's not God's plan for you forever? It's not. God wants, I believe that God wants to take you in a process. In fact, we, we teach this, that first, I believe that God wants to save you. God does everything He can to save you and rescue you from your old life. And can I tell you, that's why we do these weekend services how we do. If you, ever, you probably have wondered, like, why in the world do we pray the salvation prayer every week? It's because I believe that these services are designed to save people. That's what they're here for. And so we're here every Sunday morning to save people. But it doesn't stop there. For a lot of people, they let it stop there. But can I tell you that it shouldn't stop there? Can I tell you that God wants to heal you? He wants to heal you of your personal issues. And not only that, but He also wants to develop some of these exceptional qualities in your life. He has a desire to heal you and develop your qualities. And that's why we have small groups. Small groups do that. That's our discipleship process. God wants to heal you. When you're in a group, you can be healed and it can help you develop your exceptional qualities. And finally, I believe that God wants you to serve. This is the model all throughout the Bible. He wants you to serve and make a difference. And that's why this morning, there's people outside with umbrellas walking you in. That's why somebody hopefully opened the door for you. That's why somebody's serving you coffee and helped you find your seat. Because, because they recognize that you're not just here to just take in constantly you're not, just, you're not just here to be saved every week, but God also wants to heal you, He wants to develop you, and He wants you to serve someone else. And that's the process. And if you look throughout everybody's life in the Bible, you can see that very similar process that happens. And so how does He do it? Let me teach you for a little bit. Let me teach you how to get some of these exceptional qualities, alright? And I'm going to go just a little bit deep for a minute. And uh, I'm going to be a little bit teachy for a minute, so just heads up, if you like it deep, this is your time. Um, but if you don't, I'll be back in just a minute, all right? So here, here's the deep part, and then I'm going to get a little bit practical. Here's, uh, here's what we find in 2 Corinthians 3.17. It says this, Now the Lord is a spirit. What, the, what are they talking about here? That God has this force. God has this energy. He, he has this ability to change things, essentially. And it says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Can I tell you that God's plan for humanity, He wants to get His Spirit impacting places where people hurt. He desires to get His Spirit in a place where people hurt so that they can experience this freedom. And I believe that this happens every week right here. It goes on to say, and we... Who is he talking about here? He's talking about you and me. He says, and so you and me who, who, who are with unveiled faces. Unveiled faces essentially means that we are connected to God. We can see God. Us who are saved, who, who has this connection to God, all reflect the Lord's glory. And so it's a process here. It's a, it, 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 we reflect the Lord's glory. We should reflect everything that God is doing in us we should give it to others. We should reflect that glory. And it says we are being, which means it's a process, being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. And I tell you that if we are going to make a difference in the world, we have to have the exceptional qualities that Daniel had. And those qualities are Christ-like qualities. In fact, the more that we look like Christ, it's not going to offend the world. I believe that the more that we look like Christ, the more the world will be attracted to us. And that's the hope of the world. And if you want to see the face of God, 
I found in Revelation 4 this week where John sees the throne of God. It's a very deep verse, but I want to show it to you. And I want to, I want to show you what John sees. And this is the heavy part, so hang with me. And John sees the throne of God. It's in Revelation 4, verse 6. It says this, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. Second was like an ox. And the third had the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Most scholars believe that this is the actual representation of who our God is. In fact, a lot of people even believe that these four faces correlate with the four Gospels that they represent the four Gospels. But I believe that they're actually, this, this space, these faces in this verse, I do believe that this is an actual representation of who our God is. It's, it, it's not necessarily who God exactly looks like, but it represents the character of who our God is. And if the goal, if the goal is we're supposed to be looking like this. And if that's the goal, then let's find out where all, what all these faces are about. Because you're probably super confused. Like, I'm supposed to look like an ox? Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I don't want to look like an ox. And so, uh, I, I, I know. I, let, let me get to it. Let me get to it. And then, Noah, how, how do you know that these are the faces of God? I, it's not just wrote in Revelation, but it's also wrote in Ezekiel. It says their faces look like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side had the face of a lion, and on the left a face of an ox, and also each had the face of an eagle. And then it goes on to say that this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And so, and so God has these four faces that represent who He is, and if, and if I looked like them, then it would help me be more Christ-like. And now what I want to show you today is that I want to help you look like these faces, so that we can be more Christ-like and so that we can have influence in our culture. In fact, I believe that Daniel had all these four faces, all right? That's the deep part. Now, let me teach you for a little bit and let me, let me show you what these faces mean. Are you ready? You got your note-taking sheet out? Here's the, first, here's the first one. The ox is the face of a servant. So when the Bible says that God has the face of an ox, it's not a literal face of an ox. It just means that our God is a servant. And he wants to serve people. In fact, if you look, if you, if you know what an ox does, and if specifically if you know what an ox does in the Bible, the ox always carried things, the ox plowed things, and, and, and the ox was such a servant that they even killed the ox as a sacrifice for their sins. And so the ox is this representation in the Bible of a servant. Can I tell you that Daniel was a servant? Daniel was so ad attentive to King Darius that the Bible said, and we just read it, that the king never suffered loss. I can imagine Daniel going around saying things like, you know, what, what do you need? What do you need me to do? I'm here to help you. I, 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 I'm, here to, I'm here to, let me take care of that for you. Daniel was this type of servant. And the way to people's hearts, can I tell you, the way to people's hearts is not by standing on a park bench screaming, turn or burn. That's not how we win people to Christ. Instead, the way that you do it is by serving them. The way that we win people to Christ is we serve them. And I know it's not doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but can I tell you that everyone can do it. Everyone can serve. 
in a different way. Well, what, 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 does, that, what does that mean, Pastor Noah? What, what does that mean for me? It just means that you should be like, you know what? You first, not me. Let me, let me get that for you. In, in fact, to today when you're pulling out of the parking lot, you should be, the traffic should be backed up pulling out of the parking lot because you guys should be like, you know what? No, you back out first. No, you back out. No, you go first. You go first. There should be a line of people waiting to get out of the parking lot because we should be serving other people. That's what should be. That's what should happen. Now, we know that's not going to happen because that's not human nature, right? But that's what our God desires. God wants to transform you into the likeness of an ox to where all the ladies say, oh, no, no way. I don't want to look like an ox, all right? He wants to transform your character to be like this ox. He wants to make you a servant he wants to give you the face of a servant and can i tell you that's why we as a church that's why we spend a portion of your tithes and offerings on meeting people's practical needs why do we do that because we 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 have the hope of sharing jesus we have the hope of sharing christ with those people just by meeting a simple practical need we have a hope that we can share christ with them in fact this year i just want to tell you this year by your generosity and if if any of you were around for the compassion offering, because of that offering and because of your generosity, we're able, we're, this, this love day that we're talking about here, and I tell you that we're going to be able to help our school districts, we're going to help our park district, the city of Murfreesboro, the assisted living, we're going to help this theater, the family outreach center, I, we're, we're going to serve Murfreesboro Main Street, that's what we're doing. And because of your generosity, we're able to meet some practical needs and hope of sharing the hope with Jesus with them. That's what we do. That's what we should do. And that's why we're doing this. And, and this is going to be an annual thing. This love day is going to be an annual thing. In fact, I want to ask you, I want to ask everybody today to join us July 13th. I would hope that you would, if you, if you work, I hope that I'm, I'm even going to ask you to take the day off. Come and serve. And I tell you that it, it will change your attitude. Come and serve our city. And I'm telling you, there's all kinds of things that you can do. We're going to be painting things. We're going to be pulling some weeds. We're planting trees. We're going to fix things. There's things for your kids to do. We're going to hand out goodies. We're, we're going to pick up some trash. I know that sounds amazing, doesn't it? Uh, but we're, like, even, even if you can just talk, can I tell you, come and talk to the residents at the assistant living. Come and do that for us. And, and come and serve. And we're going to be all across the city. Why? Because for, why? for the hope of sharing Jesus with them. We're doing this because we want to share the hope and the love of Jesus with them. And I do believe that that is the face of God. The face of the ox is the face of the servant. And can I tell you, don't just wait until July 13th and don't only just serve people on July 13th. You can do it other times too, all right? And it doesn't mean that you even have to serve at the church. Can I tell you, you get a chance tomorrow when you go to work. Grab some donuts for your coworkers, all right? Walk in and say, hey, everybody, I got you a little something. Or, or, or even if it's just something simple, like let, let, me, let me make that copy for you. Let me send that email. I don't, whatever you do, just be a servant because that's how we show the face of God. And if we just serve people, I believe that's how. We can change the world. In fact, 1 Corinthians says this, though I am free and belong to no man. What is he saying here? I'm not a slave to anyone, but I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. That should be your attitude. Although you're not tied up to anybody else, I make myself a slave. 
I make myself a servant to other people so that I can win as many as possible. Can I tell you, doesn't that stand in such contrast with what the world thinks the church is all about? The world thinks the church is all here to take your money and that churches are so greedy and, and, and that they don't want to serve people. They're all about serving themselves. Can I tell you that I'm on a mission to change the way the world thinks about church? I'm on a mission to do that right here. And it begins by us taking upon the face of Jesus, the face of an ox, the face of a servant, the attitude that we're not here to be served, but we are here to serve. Here's the second point right here. The man is the face of love. Can I tell you that people are not looking for a doctrinal debate? They're just not looking for a debate. And can I tell you that if you get pulled into one of those debates, you're probably not a very wise person. In fact, I've never seen someone fight it out over a debate and finally say, oh, you know what? I see it now. I just, I can see it now. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. In fact, most people who want to debate with you, they've already got their minds so made up, they're never going to change their mind. And, and, and that, that's just not how it works. People, in, in fact, I, I've said it like this before, that people don't care about what you know. They just want to know that you care. They don't care about the knowledge that you have. They don't care about how many facts you can give them. They just want to know that you actually care for them. In fact, this week, we're, on the, we're looking for people to partner with on Love Day. And can I tell you that I, I, I came upon an organization that, I'm, mind you, I'm here to help them. And what do they want to do? They want to argue with me about this church. They want to argue with me about our doctrine. And I'm here to help them. And I'm like, if this is what... I, I just It breaks my heart to think that that's how so many Christians are. That immediately, instead, I, and people come to help them. And immediately, they want to get into an argument about your doctrine. They want to get into an argument about your belief system or whatever it is. Can I tell you, that's not what I want the church to look like. Absolutely not. I do not want the church to look like that. People aren't looking for an argument. They're not looking for a debate. In fact, uh, in fact, I joke with people sometimes, and, and uh, I said this a couple of weeks ago to somebody, and then I, I kind of, it, it's just a joke, all right? But I'm going to tell you, and some, somebody said, somebody said to me, well, I, I, I don't like Christians. And, and I told him, I said, you know what? Me either. And, and they looked at me like, what? What? <laughs> you're, you're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to like Christians? And I told him this, and this is the funny part. And I said, I said, well, I, I grew up with so many mean ones that I had to start my own church. And so, <laughs> it's a joke. All right. But anyway. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. I just wanted to share that with you. But it's the truth. There's so many mean Christians. Nobody's showing, no, nobody is showing the face of love. They're just, in fact, can I tell you that we deal with the issues that people have way too soon? We get them in here and we try to deal with their issues immediately. And can I tell you that, sure, yes, I believe that God wants to deal with our issues, but we've got to love people first. We've got to love them first. We've got to love them to Christ. Don't just deal with their issues right away. In fact, Jesus says this, and I find this verse kind of funny. Jesus says, a new command I give to you. Can I tell you this command is not new? Jesus is just having to say it because nobody ever listened to it, all right? This is not a new command, but Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to blow your mind. A new command I give to you. Love one another. It's as simple as that. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one 
and other. And then it goes on to say that by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. For what? If you love one another. How do we get people to know that we are Jesus' disciples? How do we get people to get in the door of this church? How do we get people to accept who Jesus is? We love them. That's what we're called to do. The face of a man, we're called to love. Here's the third one real quick. The face of an eagle, which is the face of respect. You ever seen an eagle before? Like in real life? Like I'm, I'm talking about in real life. I remember uh, me and Emily were... <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of eagles in the bottoms, and every once in a while, you'll see one, and me and Emily were driving, and I remember almost running off the road looking at this eagle. Like, I was just in awe of this eagle, because, because I, I don't know if you've ever seen them before in real life, but they do like this, this one big flap, right? And they go, they go, and then they like soar, right? They go, like, it's only one, it's only one flap, and it's like one of the most majestic things, like, I swear, if you see it, you won't, I, I'm not going to sound nuts to you. So go try to find an eagle to look at. And they're, they're amazing. And not only that, I, I, this is kind of the funny part. I, I had this patriotic moment, like when I saw this eagle, like, my country. <laughs> right? I just, there's just this moment that you have. It's like this eagle, it's so majestic. It, it, it has this dignity, this honor, this excellence to it. And can I tell you, when I looked at that eagle, I was like, wow. That's impressive. Like, wow, look at that thing. Can I tell you that one of the faces of your God is just that? One of the faces of your God is this. Wow, that's impressive. People should look. At, in fact, God wants us to live our lives in such a way where the world would look at us and say, wow, that's impressive. Wow, how do they do that? Can I tell you, how, 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 they, they should look at us and say, wow, how do you have a marriage like that? Wow, how do you run your business like that? Wow, how do you have kids like that? Wow, how is your family like that? Can I tell you that God has the power to do work on your life and it's not just for you, but He wants to do it so that the world would look at you and say, wow, that's impressive. God wants people to look into your life and say, wow, I, can't, I knew her so long ago, but now, wow. Look at how she's changed. Look at what's different. God wants your life to be just that way. Wow, that's impressive. Can I tell you that's why whenever you walked in this church today, hopefully there was a sign outside. Hopefully there were even people out front. And can I tell you that we do that on purpose so that whenever you get close to this place, you can just feel it change. You should just feel the atmosphere change. Even though we're in an old movie theater, you should come to this place and be like, wow, there's something different about this place. In fact, we, we want the atmosphere to change. And, and that's why whenever you came in, the place is clean. You should have got a worship guide. There's free coffee and snacks. And by the way, hopefully the people are nice. Wow, right? That, that's impressive. And the band is coordinated and the videos are on time and everything is planned with a purpose. And we do that because we understand this eagle to where we understand that our church should be looked at like, wow, that's impressive. We do that so that we can wow you. We do that so that we can influence you. In fact, that's what the eagle is. Excellence. The face of an eagle. You might be, well, Pastor Noah, how, that's great, but how in the world do I do that? Well, you can do some simple things like brush your teeth, right? 
You can put on some deodorant. You can be on time. You can clean your car. You, you, can be the, you can be the first to work and the last to leave. That's what it's talking about here. Have some, have some dignity. Have, have some, some honor and do it with excellence. And look at what Jesus, look at what they say about Jesus. They say, they say this in Mark 7. They said people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything so well. What did they do? They looked at Jesus and said, wow, that's impressive. Wow, that's impressive. In fact, let it be said about us. Let this verse be said about us. In fact, I've read this verse to you before, but I wanted to bring this up again in Matthew 5.13. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. What is he talking about here? He says that everywhere you go, you should make it better. But if the soul loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. What is he talking about here? Is that you, Christian, you should take every dark place and you should make it better. That's what we're called to do. You take every dark place and you make it better. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It goes on to say in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and so that they can praise your Father in heaven. What happens here? When you shine your light, people are going to see you. And who should you reflect to? You should reflect to your Father in heaven. That's what we're designed to do. We're designed to serve people. We're designed to love people. We're designed to be respectable. And finally, here's the last one. The face of a lion. The lion which is the face of boldness. Can I tell you that the church cannot be silent? Especially in the day and age and in the culture that we're living in. We're not called to be silent. Instead, we are called to be bold. And I'm not telling you to go out there and be rude or be obnoxious, or, but I'm not telling you to be quiet either. In fact, the world wants to tell you to stay silent, but the Bible says in Proverbs that the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. That's who we're called to be. We're called to be bold. We are called to be bold, not rude, but we're also called to speak the truth. And can I tell you this morning, I, I taught you all these different faces and I taught you what you're supposed to look like, but how in the world, Noah, do I respond to this message? How do I respond to these four faces? What, what do you do when culture is opposing you. And can I tell you that I think the church has had it wrong for a little while. In fact, I think that the church will take things to two extremes. And, and there's two things that I believe every church has the extreme on. And I believe that we're called to be, a, that, that it's, we're supposed to be a little bit of, of a mixture of the both of these. In fact, I believe that it's the mixture between grace and truth. We're called to be a mix of this grace and truth. And some people, they're way over on the grace side. And other people, they're way over on the truth side. But the balance of the two is who we're called to be. What am I talking about? I'm, I'm saying that grace says that we all need a second chance. But truth also says that the only way that we can get it is if we repent. That's the mix of grace and truth. Grace says that we're all sinners and that there's not any bigger sin 
than anyone else, that you can't do anything worse than what anybody else already hasn't done. But truth says that we're not going to call that sin okay either. That's my heart for this church is that we're not going to judge you. I don't care what sin that you have committed. I'm not going to judge you. But the truth also says that I don't say it's all right either. It's not all right for you to continue to do that. That's the mixture between grace and truth. In fact, in the story that that Jesus talks about, and it's when, when the story of the adulterous woman, where the Pharisees bring this adulterous woman up to Jesus, and and they say, you know, what what should we do with her? And and ended up that they they left. And at the end of that story, Jesus tells that adulterous woman who was obviously in the wrong. He says, neither do I condemn you. The grace in Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But the truth also said, he continued and he said, and now go and sin no more. As a church, we're called to be a mixture of that grace and truth. It's both. And whenever we look at Daniel and whenever we look at Jesus, they both had that grace and that truth. In fact, Daniel was full of grace. In fact, when we look at the life of Daniel, none of the kings were ever mad at him. But Daniel never wavered from his beliefs. That's how we should be. We're called to be full of grace, but we should never waver from our beliefs, just like Daniel. In fact, it's said about Jesus, one of the last verses here, it says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who we're called to be. Why? And here's the last couple sections to your notes. Grace, because we all need a Savior. Every single one of us. We're all sinners. And we're all in need of forgiveness. And so we need that grace from Jesus because we're all sinners. But truth, because it's the only thing that can set people free. Can I tell you, just going around culture and just saying, you know what, it's okay, it's all right. That's, that's not the truth. In fact, the truth will set people free. Today, some of you, you need to know that. You need to have a mixture of grace and truth. You need to come to Jesus and you need to realize that, man, my life is out of whack. That's the truth. But you need to recognize that thank God that He gave us grace. Thank the Lord that He's given us grace so that we can have a new life. It's the mixture of grace and truth. Truth. So that He can set people free. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? This morning, many of you in here, you need to receive the grace and truth that Jesus was talking about. You need grace because you need to realize that you need a Savior. But you also need to realize that whenever you walk out of here, you can you will be set free because you know the truth in your life. This morning, I can tell you that Jesus he died on a cross for your sins. He died for each and every one of you personally. But can I tell you that He didn't stay dead. Instead, three days later, He rose from the dead. And because He rose from the dead, and because He is victorious, we can have new life and we can trust Him. Noah, how do you do that? How do you, how do you receive that life? Well, you just pray this simple prayer. And all we're going to say is, Jesus, I make You the Lord of my life. I give You my life. 
If that's you in this room today and you say, I want to turn my heart over to Jesus. I need to give it up and I need to surrender to Him today. If that's you in here on the count of three, I just want to ask you to lift your hands. Are you ready? One, two, three. Would you lift your hands this morning? Thank you. Thank you. You want to receive His grace and truth. Thank you so much. Put your hands down. This morning, church, because we all believe in this prayer, let's pray it together. Would you say this after me? Say, Dear God, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.